Hello, everyone, and thanks for coming back to World Forge. World Forge is a podcast by creators and for creators, where we use random prompts to invent just about anything you can imagine. Together, we'll make heroes and villains, ancient monsters and magical cities, and our hope is that we can inspire all the other creators and storytellers out there listening to do the same. So without any further ado, I'm Piper. And I'm Sam. And welcome to World Forge. everyone we're back my throat is all better i can breathe without <laughs> dying thank you for letting us take a quick break sam yes. how do you feel i feel great honestly i think a week off in between what was i mean i, I don't know i hope this didn't come through in the episode that there were sort of struggles with the format last week but you know doing something as different as that mm -hmm. and kind of piecing that all together is a lot more work than we typically have yeah. um recording on the road is as much fun as it was uh, had its own challenges. So I think taking a little vacation from our podcast vacation. <laughs> vacation after <laughs> yeah. our vacation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that was really nice. So I, I hope you all are excited for another new episode of World Forge, as excited as we are, uh, mm -hmm. because we're back here with Holy Cow episode 99. Whoa. Uh, how? How did we get here? You guys, um, it's because of you, because of your support, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and we actually, uh, we wanted to say this at the beginning of the episode, um, yeah. in case those of you uh, who don't always stick around to the end, which yeah. no worries, uh, <laughs> next week's episode will be the big 100, and we want your help yes. to make it as special of an episode as possible. Absolutely. We've already gotten a ton of, well, here, what, what we're asking for, I guess, before I say what we've already gotten from you guys, <laughs> uh, what we want to do is we want to do sort of a like a World Forge Power Hour extravaganza where we're going to go through as many short little bite-sized prompts as we can from you guys. So we've gotten a ton of prompts already from past guests of ours, uh, listeners, from just kind of our friends and, you know, supporters all over the place. And we are still looking for more. Uh, I think what we would really like to see from people is if you have an idea for a character or a location or an adventure or, or something like that, that you want us to take a crack at, send us a quick, short little audio clip, like 30 seconds to a minute tops, just saying, hey, you know, I thought it'd be cool if you made a character based on a big fancy hat with a feather in it that I saw <laughs> when I was at the state fair or something, you know, like anything like that that you want to send us. Uh, and we can just rip through those as, uh, as many as we can in yeah. one episode, I think will be a lot of fun. It'll also be a chance for you guys. If you have questions you want to ask us, you can send those in too. Yes. They don't all have to be creative prompts. They can also be like, hey, Sam and Piper, tell us about uh, like the best birthday you ever had absolutely and we'll yeah. tell you those things <laughs> it'll be part uh you know kind of ask me anything part you know regular episode part sort of a variety show yeah <laughs> i think uh, we'll see if we can get bob hope to come and, <laughs> and do a little number for us. the ghost of bob hope yes exactly <laughs> uh so yeah if you want to send us any of that stuff twitter of course is a great way to do it world forge pod on twitter or to our gmail account worldforgepod at gmail.com um any audio clips you know videos if you don't feel comfortable having your, uh, you know, your audio, your voice live on air, feel free <laughs> to send us just a short little email or a message and we will do our best 
to play them all for the first time kind of blind live on air. I think yeah. that'll be another really fun little thing is that you get to kind of shock us. So we're <laughs> putting one interaction. Yeah, we're putting a lot of trust in you listeners not to, uh, you know, not to get the FCC on our backs by saying a bunch of naughty stuff on, on air. Cause <laughs> as we all know, there's no editing in this podcast. Once it, once it records, it's there. Never, ever. No. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, we're very excited for that mm-hmm. and we hope you are too. And yeah, we hope to get a bunch more really fun prompts from you guys here before we, before we record here in just a couple days. So yeah. Yeah, so but send them in. We've, we've got exciting stuff today, too. We, this week's episode is going to be great. We do, yeah. And we wanted to start off by uh, giving a bit of a update on some of our recent campaigning. Yes, uh, yeah. We, that we've, we've been taken doing a, a short break from D&D as well here, mm-hmm. uh, as well as the podcast. And we're, we're back at it. Yeah. And no, the last two episodes that we've done in our evil campaign are some of my... <laughs> Favorite moments of roleplay ever. In fact, after this last week's campaign uh, or session, I said to our DM, Aaron, I was like, this is definitely my favorite campaign I've ever done. I I think that's really funny because... I feel like you almost felt insulted by that. Well, no, no, I didn't at all. I I was happy to be a part of it. I, I just thought it was funny that you mentioned that after a moment of like a very exciting thing happening off screen. And I thought that was a really funny thing that you're like, oh, that's so cool. And I'm like, we didn't even role play. <laughs> you, just, you know? I just think it's exciting because this is a, I feel like for me as a player, this is one of the first times where I've gotten to really flesh out a character the way that I want to. Yeah, I yeah. feel like normally... Whenever I create a character, I always go way too in-depth with the backstory. I'm thinking about them outside of gameplay and all these things that I want them to do, but it never actually comes up in the games. And oftentimes the way I envision a character is actually not how they come out through the gameplay because maybe I don't roll as well or things like that, you know? And so with Philo, he's actually doing a lot of the stuff that I want him to be successful in, which again, it shouldn't always be about getting what you want, but it is very satisfying for me because I feel like so much of my D&D experience is often having these ideas for grand characters and they just end up being goofs and mess ups. And so the fact that I have a character that's actually being quite successful, it's just exciting for me. Yeah. Or or it (laughs) takes, you know, two years to get to the stuff that you really want to explore in your game or, you know, you have to, God forbid, you have to let other players have the spotlight once in a while. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, I I think it's been great. I think this group, we have such a good balance. Uh, Well, A balance tipped heavily in favor of us just kind of, nah, just sort of like like not doing the story stuff, you know? I I think... I think Aaron has given us a really strong platform to kind of go and do whatever we want. And God bless him. He is so good at rolling with our silly little punches. Yeah. Uh, Because I I really get the impression that this is a drastically different direction that we've gone (laughs) overall than he was really expecting to to have gone. And 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 I think he's... Seems very happy with it, nonetheless. No, totally. And yet, I feel like in these last two episodes, he has really kind of taken control back by throwing these big things at us. Yeah. So, a couple of the big plot points, just real quick. One of which is that uh, we had... Um, sort of like the followers of this god of life yes. uh, kind of against us and hunting yes. us down. And so we sent our most pious, most likable character <laughs> to go and talk to this god, and he did. And she was like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to call off the dogs. You guys are cool. Oh, but by the way, um, this necromancer you've been worrying about, he's not going to become a problem for at least two years. But also you have to tell Sam's character that his two years are almost up. And, and it's just like, just dropped these big coded messages on us. And we're like, what the heck? And totally. it's super excited. Totally. And I'm just kind of like, sorry, what? We, I, You know, it was, <laughs> it was a funny thing that we were... I really liked that Aaron 
prompted me to sort of build out a bit of my character's backstory that I just really hadn't thought of live in person in game like that. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's kind of the freedom that we've had in this game is that there's so many, you know, little flashbacks and like, oh yeah, no, like it, it could, it should have been like this. And like every time, you know, I think we're all committed to the story enough that we're not just trying to say, well, it'd be badass if my guy had done this, you know, right. like we're trying to sort of serve the story. And I think that's an understanding that we've all kind of reached really well. Um, the, the thing with my character is that, uh, you know, he's a, he was formerly a well-respected, uh, surgeon, like a very skilled doctor. And he kind of started seeing that the limitations of medical science were just becoming increasingly frustrating to him. And so he said, I need to find a way to kind of combine magic into this, but he wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a cleric. He wasn't really a, a godly man. So he said the arcane arts are kind of the only direction I can go. So he started dabbling into necromancy and, uh, ended up, uh, what we kind of decided was that, you know, when he was young and he was first getting into this, he was just sort of naive and just wanted to, you know, take any kind of shortcut he could get. And so, you know, we joked, we're like, you go to a, you go to like a job fair and you sign up for every single newsletter or coupon or, you know, petition or whatever you can, not even thinking about it. You know, he's written his name in so many, you know, human flesh bound books that he's just like, oh, it's whatever. It's not a big deal. This job fair was the holy city of the gods. And you just went and like prayed to every temple and you're like, can somebody give me magic? Totally. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. That's basically what it was, was, you know, he kind of went hat in hand to anybody who would listen. And, you know, he made so many pacts and this is one that's kind of coming back to bite him now about a hundred years later and uh, i i just really thought the idea of you know he's a very savvy character in a lot of ways he's very skilled with with magic and with with uh you know his science and his you know his background in medicine he's he has a reason to be well respected but he's kind of naive and Mm -hmm. in spite of his sort of book smarts he's he makes mistakes like this a lot i think and i i really am enjoying the opportunity to explore more of those mistakes and learn about them because i just thought it was so funny that he would do something as serious as like you know making like a warlock's pact essentially and then not even thinking it, you know not even taking it seriously that he literally did that. Yeah. yeah literally forgetting <laughs> about it you know and then a hundred years later somebody revives it reminds him and he's like oh shoot, I have to go and do this thing that I guess I promised to do like a century ago. I don't know, guys. (laughs) So yeah, it's kind of a fun adventure, which will culminate in he had basically the the bargain that he had made for uh, some little hint of necromantic energy that kind of gave him the spark to start with. It was with a god of death, right? Yes, it was with a god of death. Um, He said, "I'll, I'll give you a little spark and that'll get you started. And in exchange... In a hundred years, you can use this magic for a hundred years, but then you have to go and find the deck of many things and draw a card from it. And so now we're on this journey to go and find this, you know. The, and Aaron, the deck and, and yeah. Aaron said too, our our DM, he's like, and if you don't find the deck in a hundred years, yeah. then it'll come to you, and you have to draw two cards. Yes, exactly. And so it's just like like the the <laughs> toll of that is very fun. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's this weight now kind of over us, and uh, I I think this will be a interesting thing because two years in this campaign really isn't very long i mean we've spent a lot of time you know traveling between locations that are very far apart sometimes months just go by for us really quickly so 
uh, I think he's turning up the heat really quick in a very satisfying way. Well, that's the other thing. We made a big time jump um, mm-hmm. because so one of the plot lines that my character's involved in is uh, since they returned to the capital, uh, Philo has been pursuing uh, the love of his life, yeah. uh, Princess Morgana, yes, who Morgana is this Eberron. enormous barbarian elf princess. <laughs> uh, she, I love the idea that like when I first made Philo, I was like, oh, he's a tall guy, but she like dwarfs him. <laughs> like he's very small compared to her, which I think is so cute. Yeah. Um, but so she offered when we came to her with our issue, cause she's an incredible warrior. She said, no, I'm not going to help you fight this necromancer. That's awful. But she's like, I will train you guys though. Cause you're yeah. a bunch of like weaklings that have been yeah, doing yeah. science in the wasteland. <laughs> so I'll, I'll teach you how to be big, strong, tough guys. And we're like, yeah, we'll take that. And then Aaron's like, okay, a year and a half later. And we're like, what? <laughs> like, he's like, you've been, you didn't ask her how long this training would take. It's been a year and a half. Oh, so Aaron so- loves doing that to us. <laughs> though just Aaron's such a little monkey's paw of a fucker like he always is doing shit like that <laughs> so we we have this time jump and we did you know all of these skill checks to see how well we would do in our training and what new abilities we would gain and um one of the things because I was once we you know took care of all of our levels and stuff I was talking to Aaron because I was like okay so he's been training with this the woman he loves for a year and a half. I'm like, let's talk about their relationship. And so eventually what we've decided is in that time, uh, Philo proposed the Royal family likes him enough. They're like, yeah, that's okay. And she is the first in line, but luckily, uh, the King who is an elf is in good health. So, and Philo is also a half elf. So he'll probably die before he could ever become King, which is good because Philo is King would be awful. Yeah. You, you're going to be long (laughs) dead by that point. Yeah. I almost wish I could kind of like do a kind of (laughs) AU where we just sort of explore that, but, um, that would be chaos. Uh, so now I am Prince Philo and I just think that's so like <laughs> buck wild. I'm like, my character became a prince. I love it. I, I kind of love it and I kind of hate it. It's just, <laughs> it's just insane. <laughs> it's just, I keep thinking I'm like, cause I, I keep modeling him after, uh, you know, like kind of classic rock stars. And I yeah, feel like this would be yeah, like, you'd totally. read in the newspaper, you'd be like, Oh, did you hear Steven Tyler married some Swedish princess or something? Well, no, like that's Piper, like, now he's the artist currently known as Prince. Yes. Oh my God. You're right. <laughs> Correct. Very yeah. accurate. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's cool. I I was just I was so shocked that you were willing to just write it off as a thing that you're like, oh, this happened off screen. Like, I can't believe that didn't turn. I mean, maybe we'll do this next session. Right. But like, I thought this would have turned into a whole big thing where, you know, we would talk about what the ceremony looked like and we'd have <laughs> like a little little banter with the attendants and things like that. I was actually kind of looking forward to that. So I, I hope we get to revisit that. And maybe in a flashback down the line, we can <laughs> see if this is somehow relevant to the story in a, in a deeper way. I'm glad that you were looking forward to it because I purposely just said, we're just going to say that that happened because I feel as if my character has kind of dominated a lot of the big heavy narrative areas recently and I wanted to kind of bring it back to group interaction because yeah. I did previously before this in the last session Philo gave a, a big concert because he is a famous <laughs> pianist and organist um, and so he gave this great concert and I rolled so well I have such a good d20 right now guys yeah. I've been getting like 18s <laughs> non-stop and the concert went so well that the organ burst into flames yeah. and it was like his secret love letter to the princess that he likes and she was like into it so it was awesome it was like when Fry. <laughs> Play, uh, gets the robot devil's hands and plays the holophoner for Leela and it's the oh yeah it was like that yeah. <laughs> just like that uh, yeah it was so it's been a really yeah. fun couple of sessions it was really cool I, I also I think we should definitely talk about how that training session went because mm-hmm. I think mechanically the way Aaron handled that was really interesting
training. Like he basically said, all right, you've got all this time to train. There's a bunch of different stuff that you're going to be doing. Essentially what he was giving us was the ability to cross class into any martial class, mm-hmm. right? So you as a bard and myself as a wizard, now we, we both decided to take levels in rogue because it really just made the most sense with, yeah, with we're sneaky. what we want to do. Ex- exactly. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, he said, pick four skills and then justify how those skills apply to this training, right? And, you know, kind of give us a little bit of a, a little bit of flavor and then make a role. And depending on how all those roles go, uh, you know, we, we got different sort of levels of reward for that. Um, so we ended up, you know, getting the highest tier of reward for this. We advanced a couple of levels in this time. And uh, I just thought it was really fun getting to go through and pick what what I thought my character, yeah. uh, Do- Dr. Ricard Morvo, would do to train to become a rogue when he previously is really not a guy who does hand-to-hand fighting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was trying to find ways to use, like one of them that I, I used was um, I, I made a role based on perception. And what I said was I, I just put a dagger on the table in between me and the trainer and I just watched him to see if he had a tell for when he was going to grab it or when he was going to try and strike and you know I had I had all these kind of different things that I was like oh I'm like reading his body language because I'm more mm-hmm. of a charismatic kind of smart guy than anything else and so I I really like getting to make those justifications I like getting yeah. to explore those boundaries and and kind of push the limits of how you can use different skill checks in different ways because mm-hmm. you know it was I, I think we kind of see this separation between skill checks and combat and exploration, right? People talk about the three pillars of, of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I think this was finding a way to sort of blur the line between like skill checks and combat, right? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just thought that was a really elegant way to do that, that yeah. Aaron had kind of devised there. You know, who knows? Maybe he stole this from Critical Role <laughs> yeah. or something. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed that process. It was handled very well. Yes, it was. But you know what, Sam? We're not just here today to talk about our worlds yes. and our games. We're actually here to talk about a uh, listener's world. Yes, we are. Absolutely. Yeah. Mike Kimball's world. Uh, that's uh, Kerfliggle on, on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Mike, thank you so, so much for letting us uh, kind of just stick our hands in the mud and play around. I was going to say, I'm like, world. Sam's about to say something creepy. No. <laughs> like working on this world. No, You're no. always like, thanks for letting us diddle your world. Yeah, d- yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, we're going to be very respectful with this beautiful <laughs> world that, that Mike has so graciously allowed us to, uh, to, to just go to town on. So uh, I, seriously, I, just go, just go nuts. nuts. Uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited. Um, so, Mike was uh, actually connected to us. I wish I could remember who recommended us, but there was a Twitter thread where Mike had posted he's a a new-ish DM, uh, is looking for some help, getting some inspiration for a homebrew world that he's building. And uh, somebody in the comments said, hey, check out WorldForge Pod. They're good at giving inspiration for things. You know, they probably want to help you out. And so Mike and I got talking. He sent me a lot of his ideas that he already had. And I told him, you know, give us a little elevator pitch. We'll run with it and we'll see what we can do for you. If he has any specific questions that he wants answered, you know, we can maybe give him some direction. And so uh, here, I'll just read a, a couple of excerpts from the email exchange that we had here. So I said, hi, my name is Mike Kimball, uh, which always also makes me think of, uh, uh, Pete uh, Campbell? No, uh, Richard <laughs> Kimball from uh, the uh, 
the fugitive is Harrison Ford's name. I don't know why I keep thinking of that. Well, okay. Same last name. Maybe that's oh, why. Wow. Uh, hi, my name is Mike Kimball. <laughs> Great content. I reached out to you guys on Twitter a little while ago after reading about your podcast uh, about helping develop listeners' worlds. I'd love your input and ideas in the world that I have going on here. I'm relatively new to tabletop role-playing games. I've only started playing a few years ago with coworkers and friends, but I've been daydreaming fictional worlds for way longer. This is the first one I've ever really committed to making in print, though. It is inspired by concepts and ideas that the mass market high fantasy properties I usually consume don't typically address, and I really wanted to see explored in more detail. I love overthinking common fictional tropes and exploring the broader societal consequences of things like magic and resurrection. So, Dude, I like this already. Yeah, yeah exactly. Same, bro. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of right in our wheelhouse here. Uh, like, you know, like we say, kind of pushing those boundaries and exploring. So here's a quick overview of the world that he has so far. So... The world I'm building is a continent known as Celestia. It's intended to be the setting for a homebrew tabletop role-playing game that would sit in the dungeon punk genre. He says he defines that as like Eberron, but more grounded, um, with a few extra little details here. So gods and religions exist, but mortal heroes known as incarnates, who embody key virtues or principles such as justice or compassion, are the entities to whom most folk pray. So I like this idea that there are these, you know, kind of like Greek heroes or something, you know, like all of the gods are sort of embodiments of of human traits and ideals, except these are actually kind of like ascended, you know, characters. That is the impression that I sort of get. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, they divide, disciples of the incarnates divide themselves between the principles of order and change. So this is kind of a big thing in this world is this this dichotomy between order and change. Uh, you can either preserve and defend what works right now or fight to change it for the better. Interesting. Right? So I think that's kind of an interesting battle. That, Very interesting. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, death is semi-permanent. Healing potion ingredients are farmed and phylacteries are commercially sold, allowing even the poorest to survive injury or return from death, but only as they were when the phylactery was made. By law, you can't have more than one active phylactery at a time to prevent abuse of the system. This is a new invention and society is just grappling with the implications of, you know, resurrection and being able to kind of stave off death. Um, he says in game terms, you can just make a copy of your character sheet, <laughs> just photocopy, which I think is actually kind of a... I, that's a hilarious yeah. solution to that. You I know? like that a lot. Um, elves currently hold political power via monarchy, but dwarves are rapidly amassing economic and legislative influence via the consortium of merchant guilds. Think big tech meets big pharma. Hmm. Uh, in the passage of major legal victories in the Grand Chorus, which is like their parliament. There are no humans in this setting. Nice. Yes. Love it. <laughs> you just, you you had Piper at there are no humans in this setting. <laughs> uh, halflings, orcs, a society of half humanoid, half animal folk called the Khmeri, and a faction of formerly inanimate awakened persons known as aberrants are the other major heritage groups. Um, he also mentions gnomes later down in here, uh, but halflings, orcs, gnomes, dwarves, elves, uh, and then these animal people and the the like awakened objects, I think are the main ones. Mages have seceded from the government and reside on a satellite island nation just off the coast. Their nomadic mage knights still regulate abuses of magic on the mainland as a provision of an old peace treaty. They view magic as something to be protected from mortals, not the other way around. Taking a life with magic haunts your dreams with visions of the Bloodspire, a tower of endless madness and torment that compels those who see it to commit horrible, violent deeds for unknown ends. So that's an interesting direction to go there too. Like who's putting these visions in your, in your head? Who is it that runs the blood spire? Like, is this a obelisk to some God of 
chaos or is it a, you know, is that just like the embodiment of this magic energy that exists in the world? Yeah. I also just want to say for the audience right now, my eyes are like getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, are you sure you need help? This world sounds pretty <laughs> awesome already, but I'm right? glad to help out if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Magic is accessible to many but only a few can master it. Most avoid it due to the danger. Almost anyone can attempt master level spells at any time, but in most situations, that usually results in a gruesome death for the caster and anyone in the vicinity. Um, the guilds were formed in an attempt to safely democratize magic and protect it. They use magical stones called arcanium as a conduit. They power machines, brew potions, and enchant items to allow normal people to enjoy the benefits of magic without the fountains of trauma and gore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I think is a great, <laughs> a great little kind of safety switch that we have there. Uh, this theme of order and change is something I want to make pervasive throughout the world. Everyone and everything should experience some form of tension between the static and the dynamic forces around them. Wow. Change should not equal chaos. Normally that is the counterpoint to order, but this setting isn't really seen that way. It's just, it's kind of growth or, yeah, or progress remaining static. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, he says this is kind of a deliberate choice to push players to relate to their PCs in deeper, more personal terms, which that's kind of my favorite thing about this whole thing, right? I like I mean, that too. We talk so much about, you know, bringing things from your real life into the game and, and you know, grappling with problems that maybe you grapple with in the real world. If there's just questions that you want answered, whether they're big existential life questions or whether it's just, a, oh, that's kind of an interesting thing. I think this is a great context to explore those things in. Yeah. Um, he gave me some details about the geography, but that, I'm actually going to skip over that for this. Mm -hmm. I want to go right to his, he says, the big ask. Here we go. What I don't have, and the reason I contacted you, is what the dwarves are like. I conceived of elves as being very stuck in their ways, paralyzed by a fear of drastic change brought on by long lifespans and the skewed perception of time that would result from that. I hoped that dwarves could be a direct counterpoint to the elves, but can't quite pin down how that manifests, who their leaders could be, what their culture is like, that sort of thing. Inspirations that he draws on are, uh, let's see, ideas poached from what he calls bad movies. So an mm -hmm. automatic crossbow from Van Helsing, a primitive tank from Le League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Uh, let's see, the the Monitor and Merrimack ironclad ships from reality. Uh, their inventions would prioritize does it do X over does it look good? I'd love to use more ideas like this for Dwarven culture broadly, but my library of references isn't as broad as yours, it seems to be. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that'll be a fun kind of direction to go is like, what are other kind of weird inventions and, and things like that? What are what are things that these dwarves have gotten up to that we can maybe look at as like, well, we all can see that's a terrible idea because we saw it in, you know, whatever, right? Uh, whatever movie book, yeah, uh, et cetera. But maybe the dwarves haven't realized that yet. A second option, if you're willing or able, would be to find a radical take on how halflings and gnomes have grown and changed. My take put elves in a uniquely vulnerable position, with dwarves ascendant, but I'm struggling to develop a cool paradigm shift for halflings. What kind of conflicts do they face as a society? What major cultural directions are they torn between pursuing? That sort of thing. Mm. Any input you guys have on either front would be amazing, and I thank you for giving me an opportunity to even ask. I look forward to hearing from you. If you have any questions, need more information, anything, blah, 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 I'll be available to chat. Yes, Mike, thank you so much. I think you gave us 
so much to work with here. Yeah, um, wow, this is really cool. Yeah, you know, and I had Mike and I kind of went back and forth, and I had a few thoughts that. You know, if you want to hear just what some of the foundational ideas that I've had were, and maybe sure. we can kind of build on that together. Because yeah. what really stood out to me, I, I really liked this idea that um, Mike confirmed to me in a separate conversation that dwarves don't have supremely long life like mm-hmm. elves do. So, you know, a lot of times you'll see in in some fantasy uh, sort of uh, situations that would be the case, right? They won't necessarily have elvish long lives, but they live longer than a human, for example, right? Mm-hmm. But he said that they, they have pretty normal human span lives. I think dwarves kind of seem like a little bit of a stand-in for humans, this like rise of of kind of a less magical race or a more mundane, a like man. human-like race. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, <laughs> what seemed interesting to me is the idea of because because dwarves have this like short finite lifespan Mm -hmm. they are desperate to accomplish everything they can in the time that they're alive Mm -hmm. unlike elves who maybe have kind of a more leisurely approach to progress which would make sense them being this this entity that's stuck in remaining static and keeping with the old ways because hey they have thousands and thousands of years to change things if they want to they can you know decide later if they want to change things Mm -hmm. whereas dwarves they're like if we're going to make change we have to do it now Mm -hmm. right um, I see them as kind of this, like, they're constantly the, the you know, you stare into the abyss and you grapple with your own mortality. So I see them as kind of like thrill seekers. Mm-hmm. I pictured almost like, uh, you know, if we want to go real goofy with it, like they're all having little X games all the time, right? Like the dwarves would all be kind oh of like, God. they'd be doing like really extreme things. They'd be making crazy like paragliders and jumping off mountains because they can, because it makes them feel alive. And that, you know, when they're, you know, they're grappling with, um, you know, they're, they're pushing the limits of their bodies, like fighting with giant beasts that anyone with a, you know, any, any sane person would say, there's no way you could possibly beat that. And kind of intentionally doing these things because being close to death makes them feel more alive. So almost like a, like sort of a cult of death a little bit is what I sort of see this, like liking to sort of be flirting with death, but I don't know. So that's really funny to me to hear you say that because my mind instantly would go into a different direction actually. Yeah. Okay. Of this idea of if the dwarves have a kind of human lifespan, right. And they have less time. I would not think that they would be so keen to flirt with death. Yeah. I would think that they would be more kind of searching for, they'd have these pursuits of, you know, eternal life yeah, kind okay. of a thing. It's like, how do we lengthen our lifespans? How do we keep from dying? Yeah. Because if we can die so easily, this gives other races an advantage over us and we need to be able to keep up with them and maybe even surpass them through our technology. That's a really good point. And you know, and I think that there's room for both of these, right? Totally, right. I mean, I, I, mean, I think... If, it's an entire group of people. Yeah. There's definitely going to be thrill seekers in there and there's definitely going to be those who fear death and want to pr- For sure. prolong their lives. So within this culture, you know, maybe we can see we have this kind of split, right? This the schism where they say, no, we need to do everything to stay alive. We need to preserve, like we are doing great work, but our work won't last if we don't last, right? We need to be careful and we need to stay alive as long as we can. And then there's other people who say, no, we should laugh in the face of death. We should be defiant against death because when it comes for us, there's nothing we can do. So I'm going to live every day of my life like it isn't coming for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that's a really interesting sort of schism, right? And, that you know, maybe there could be these two major houses that have developed, you know, the house of life and the house of death or something like that. Mm-hmm. And as a dwarf in dwarven society, every single person is kind of aligned with one of these two ideologies. 
Yeah, know? I think I, I can definitely get behind that. I think that though both of those houses, though, they do need to be on this side of change. Yes, for so sure. So even those who are like worried about their of dying, you know, and they're working towards their change comes through like the advancements in technology that they're pursuing. And then those who kind of tango with death, yeah. they are still very much of the mindset of we'll never progress unless we take chances. Yeah. And so they're absolutely. the ones saying like, I'll try that new untested medicine handed here. Yeah. You know, because it's like we like we got to just keep moving forward. Who cares what happens to me? Because my sure. ancestors will step on my shoulders <laughs> and they'll carry it on. Like they'll step on my broken bones. Yeah, right. Floor, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. So but they all have that kind of change mindset. It sounds like from what he said that that's kind of a big thing for them. Yeah. Well, so, you know, maybe an interesting way that these two visions could kind of be brought together, right, is there's you know, say there, there are rumors of a fountain of youth or, a, you know, or a holy grail or something like that out there that it, some artifact that can grant eternal life, right? Or extremely prolonged life, a philosopher's stone or, you know, what have you. It can be any of the millions of kind of <laughs> cultural sort of tropes that fulfill that that uh, that goal, right? But I think this would be something where the the cult of life dwarves would say, oh, we need this to preserve our culture so we can continue improving the world and making things better and working for positive change. But they're a little more conservative. They're not really the adventurers. So maybe the leader of this house would come to the leader of the house of death and say, you guys, you guys are thrill seekers. You want to go out on adventures? We need some of your bravest, scariest, toughest dwarves to come out here and tromp through the jungle and see if you can help us find the, you know, the, the fountain of youth and El Dorado and, and the, the Holy Grail and all that stuff, right? All of them. Yeah, all of them at once. Go get uh, all the tokens. I think that would be a cool, you know, imagine having your party be composed of dwarves from either side of this and so on a fundamental level you disagree about you know a lot of things but this one goal is something that you can both be aligned to yeah i think that could be cool or you know or maybe there's just sort of this is something that's going on in the background as your your mm -hmm. party comes into this dwarven city absolutely i was going to say something similar that i think there are a lot of people searching for different answers to the same question of you know how do we live longer uh, and so you could be searching for kind of like a boon or an item. Yeah. Um, but I'm also kind of thinking of from this. I, I really like this idea that they are the ones creating these like technological and magical advancements uh, that's creating the progress, you know, that's kind of bringing them up to the level of the elves to kind of challenge them yeah. in power. And so in thinking about, you know, possibly scientific uh, pursuits, um, mm -hmm. My mind is going almost into kind of taking an influence from sort of our evil campaign that we're doing. Yeah. And I like the idea of, you know, kind of more of a mad scientist take of someone yeah. saying, now, why is it that elves live so long? Well, maybe it has something to do with their blood. And maybe in some, I, I don't know much about your geography of, you know, if there are different kingdoms, if they all live together. But if there is like kind of on the, if there is kingdoms, I'm just going to run with this idea, um, between like where the dwarves live and the elves live, if like on the borderlands, if elves start kind of disappearing, and it turns out that it's because like some dwarf like group or whatever, they're kidnapping elves and they're taking their blood, thinking that they can yeah, like, okay. like kind of dissect the molecules Reverse and be engineering right elf. exactly yeah. they're yeah. like how can we get your long life like i'm just gonna start picking you apart to figure yeah. it out and that's like a much darker kind of thing but again there could be like all over the place people are pursuing different ways to kind yeah. of get this one answer so let me read something else quick that that mike said in a short conversation that he and i had because i think you're really hitting it right 
the nail right on the head for, for what he might be looking for here. Cool. Uh, so he said, I had hoped to see dwarves being sort of the fringe-esque mad scientist, the yes. ones that are most likely to create some ungodly abomination that the PCs would have to be faced down. But I could never quite pin down a why, right? That's um, One it. notion, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're like right there. <laughs> one notion that I had was that phylacteries are imperfect and that they need a true or cognitive phylactery to ensure a person returns just as they were before death or not some clone with half its memories missing or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I, I I swear Piper didn't read this I did not. We... <laughs> so this is really cool. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a really, that's a good take on it too. And I also like the idea of, you know, if if dwarves are kind of looking for immortality, a lot of this difference between these two houses maybe comes down to how immortality is defined, right? Like, what mm-hmm. does that mean to someone? For the thrill-seeking dwarves, it might mean if I do great deeds, if I exactly. climb the highest mountains, I will be remembered forever. My legacy exactly. lives on, yeah. If I slay the greatest beast, if I build the, you know, the greatest, uh, you know, whirly gig helicopter invention or whatever, (laughs) uh, you know, that that if I build the biggest Hindenburg that crashes and burns and kills the most innocent people on accident in in all of history, hey, I'm not going to be remembered for a good thing, but I'm going to be remembered forever. You know what I mean? So it's always pushing those boundaries compared to like a quote unquote true immortality where you literally live forever. It's it's mm-hmm. you that goes on, not your legacy or the idea of you, right? These are on the opposite ends of this scale, which yeah. I think is really interesting. I like it too. Yeah. I what you started going off of of the idea of these dwarves doing incredible things for their their legacy to live on. I just had an idea for just kind of a cool sort of item that could exist in this world, a kind of yeah. thing. From that sect of dwarf, let's say you, you know, you do some reckless thing, right? And you die doing this reckless thing. Yes. But it was very brave of you. It was very honorable. I like the idea that perhaps there is, um, they have these enormous bells. Uh, and if you do, if you die in doing one of these acts, they will make a bell for you and then they strike the bell and it just continually rings. And maybe it's a frequency, like you can't hear it, but it's always vibrating. And they're like, this bell will forever ring and people will always be able to know that you existed because this is your bell. That's a really cool idea. Yeah. It's sort of like, uh, you know, like when, when someone's pet dies and you can buy a star for them or whatever right. and that star will always be there right this this one frequency belongs to you now yeah right? i so like that a lot something to possibly throw into your world that's really cool yeah um I, you know i also <laughs> i'm trying to think of other examples of immortality sort of artifacts or, or attempts at immortality from movies and books and stuff that could be used other than like the fountain of youth and, mm-hmm. and the holy grail i um, mean you can look at like vampires yeah 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 like totally. creatures of the undead which is kind of also where my mind was going well in this i this pursuit of like taking elves blood yeah. to try to live longer and so maybe they even because i don't know if this could possibly get into sort of this conflict or this idea he was talking about with like the halflings but yeah. maybe the dwarves accidentally create like a like a sub race of themselves that's interesting Of like kind of vampiric dwarves. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's kind of cool. They can extend their life, but they have to. It's that eternal vampire quandary, you know? It's like you can live longer, but you're living in the horrible sin of killing people. And maybe it kind of, you know, that these evil acts kind of shrink you and gnarl you, and that's why you become more like gnomish or whatever. You kind of get smaller, right? Interesting. Like sort of Gollum-esque. Yeah, right. right? Um, Yeah, that's one direction. I had some other thoughts about that, but I kind of like that direction. Let me say real quick, Um, if if that 
that is something that happens, then these vampiric dwarves are dense, definitely constantly plagued with the vision of that blood spire. Yes. Oh, yes. absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, they They're see it all the time. All on the brink of madness, yeah. basically, right? And maybe that's partially something that almost influences them, is them yeah. saying like, well, the uh, blood's in the name. Blood's the key and the answer. <laughs> Yum. Yeah. No, that, <laughs> Can't give me that blood. That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that is the the divergence of of gnomes from dwarves. They used to all be dwarves, right? But they were the ones that said, well, it's the blood of the elves. That's the secret to their long life. If we can drink that blood vampire-like, then then we'll have long lives like them too. And yeah, and so maybe it maybe it had like a partial effect, like Voldemort drinking unicorn blood or whatever, you know? Like um it it gives them longer life, kind of like the way the one ring gives Gollum longer life. It mm-hmm. it contorts him and twists him into something greater and yet lesser at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that's an interesting direction. Um I, I was trying to think of what the 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 immortality device that I kind of went to first was actually the book of Amun-Ra from the mummy Hmm. that it's this, you know, book of ancient Pharaoh's secrets or whatever, essentially that allows (laughs) him diary. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) It's that guy who looks like Billy Zane's diary. I I always think he's Billy Zane. Um, and he can use it to bring back his, his dead girlfriend or whatever. Uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe there are other things that these dwarves could be looking for. Um, mm-hmm. And there would be kind of different little kind of schools, right? Of dwarves that go after the blood, dwarves that go after the the science, dwarves that go after the, the cup of Christ, dwarves that go after the, the book of Amun-Ra or whatever, you know? Dwarves that r- have a bell ringing forever in their yes, name. exactly. Um, I think there's a lot of things we could kind of do with this. So one thing that I really liked from the description you were reading is just like the, the level of depth that seems to be going into kind of uh, just the day-to-day conflicts that these people who live in this world have to deal with, you know? Yeah. Um, and that would be with this whole kind of order versus change thing, it would definitely be a side. If you're on, if you're within like this elven community, right. Mm -hmm. Um, it'd be easy for them Mm -hmm. to take all of these extreme things that the dwarves are doing and to twist that into almost like propaganda to say, see, this is why it's good to stay in the old ways. These guys are kidnapping elves. They're killing themselves, jumping off of cliffs. This achieves nothing. This is just like in their opinion, full chaos, which is obviously not what he said is true. Totally. Um, and so they would be using that almost to kind of, double down on their own beliefs. Yeah. And so we'd be, uh, probably even be seeing more of these kind of order zealots rising yeah, as a yeah. response to these change zealots that are going into, because extremes, you know, breed other extremes. Yeah. So you're saying there's kind of like a dwarven secret police that's going around and like regulating how people are <laughs> pursuing immortality? Is that I was, what you're I was to not say? saying that. I was oh, just okay. saying that the elves <laughs> would definitely be looking at the things the dwarves are doing, and some of them would be using that as examples to prove their own point. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. Yeah, to say, right. like, look at these ridiculous, like, crazy people. They are causing trouble. They're causing harm. So this is from, not the way. The, from a PR front, the dwarves are kind of their own worst enemy a little bit. Yeah. Right. And yeah. there are definitely, and again, this is just kind of looking at the way that different extreme groups kind of take information and twist it in their own, uh, yeah. to their own needs. Yeah, absolutely. So that would only be like some people. Obviously, there would be others within the Elven Order community who is like, no, no, no. I mean, this is a lot, but they are also achieving great things. Yeah. Like, look at all the medicine that's come out of the stuff that the dwarves have done in the last 50 years yeah yeah i mean in the same way as the dwarves have this kind of schism it would make sense that we'd see that for the elves as well right because no one group thinks the same there's always going to be this diversity of thought and opinion absolutely i i kind of want to circle back to the 
dwarf halfling gnome thing here Mm -hmm. because I really do like the idea of uh, gnomes and halflings being basically just like offshoots of dwarves, right? Like some kind of, at some point they split and they evolved in kind of different directions, right? And whether that's something that's happened in a very short period of time because of some sudden like explosive magical influence like this you know, this, the consumption of the blood of elves, or if it's something like, you know, just the natural evolutionary process where two, two roads diverged in a yellow wood and one dwarf <laughs> took the, you know, the one path and the, you know, um, we call it the Robert Frost origin. Um, uh, you know, and they, one group of them ended up on a mountain and one of them ended up by a lake or whatever. And so they kind of, their cultures developed differently based on, you know, their sort of lifestyle needs and things that they thought were valuable. But, um, I actually think what would be interesting, I, my first thought was, we always kind of revisit this idea of like island gigantism or island minimalism, right? Mm-hmm. If just based on the location where they were, maybe there are dwarves that ended up in a place where, uh, you know, the the mountains were not as as fruitful, right? They weren't able to dig as grand of halls. And so they had to kind of evolve to be slightly smaller. And mm-hmm. that's the direction the gnomes sort of went, right? And the halflings are maybe more like like true dwarves, they retain more of their dwarven traits. And so the gnomes would see them as these big buff kind of bodybuilder guys because neither of them are really dwarves, but, you know, the the halflings retain more of those original kind of, uh, you know, abilities of being really stout and hardy and less about maybe tinkering with fine little things with dexterous little nimble fingers. And they're kind of this like middle ground. Right. And I just thought that was a funny idea to think of halflings as like big buff bodybuilders. Like they would look like, (laughs) like the rock to, to, uh, you know, a dwarf or something or to a, to a gnome. gnome. Right. Yeah. I like that. I'm also, so I, I like what you just said about the tinkering because it does seem as if, cause he was talking about, uh, what seems kind of almost steampunky in the way that this technology is evolving. Yes. And yes. so it seems that technology would also be important for all members of this society. So yeah, maybe the the gnomes are more about working on like small devices and things like that. They can do like okay. lots, of, lots of stuff with like clockwork because yeah. you have to work with those tiny gears and springs. I mean, this is the classic gnome you know, sort of approach is yeah, like like steam steampunk is the home of gnomish culture in a lot of fantasy. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. well, cool coincidence. Yeah. Um, but then the halflings, as you're describing them as more kind of bully, b- bully, burly. Um, <laughs> perhaps they're creating more like large steam engines and things like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that especially with the the dwarves, who I imagine are slightly bigger than the halflings. Um, they're yeah like welding together these big like iron contraptions. I think it's interesting. You know, if we look at this from like a, um, if we look at it from like, imagine we have like an org chart, right? For the, <laughs> the dwarves, the halflings and the gnomes, right? The, the dwarves would be like the CEOs of this society, right? The, the halflings would maybe be like the middle management. Like, oh, we're the ones that kind of have like uh, a sense of how all these little pieces come together, right? We can kind of assemble these actual machines that as directed by the, the dwarves or following in the footsteps of these dwarves that came before us. Mm-hmm. And the gnomes are the ones that are actually kind of doing the work, like on the ground level, right? Maybe. Like all the little components, they kind of come together in like a, you know, in, in, like a, like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, right? <laughs> it all works perfectly. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, I think there's a lot of different directions to go with that. I, I think the thing that is most interesting to me so far is that vampirism Ooh, idea. Thanks. Uh, that, yeah, it's it's all kind of based around pursuing this blood of the elves. And, may, you know, maybe this is why the gnomes and the halflings split is that the gnomes are dwarves that are kind of corrupted by it. And then there's just this, 
you know, there's, there's something in some dwarves that allows them to resist this corruption. And instead of twisting them and making them kind of tiny and, and pale and, and, you know, just contorted, it, it gives them greater strength, right? So maybe that, you know, they, they split off and it starts to kind of contort them, but then their body steals against this, you know, this magical invasion and they become even stouter and hardier than, you know, than they were in the first place. So they, they have some more elf-like features. They, they're kind of like this middle ground between dwarves and elves, right? Yeah. So their ears get a little pointier and they're, mm-hmm. Maybe their hair grows a little longer and their beards all fall off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still kind of like dwarf-sized. And they can still be cool bodybuilders because, <laughs> because the <laughs> elven blood gives them power. So yeah. uh, one thing I want to kind of touch back to that you read in that opening thing, right? Mm-hmm. You said that um, death is no longer permanent. And this is like a recent thing. Yes. Did he remind me? Did he talk about like how this is achieved? It's Is it... Yeah, so like he- healing potions are really commonly available. So they're kind of preventative measures that are available. And then also phylacteries, which would be the vessel that a lich would put their soul in. So essentially, if you die, there's there's like a copy of you that's waiting to just be put back into your body. I see. Okay. Right? So you can be you can be restored with some degree of accuracy. And okay. so, you know, m- this is something that we kind of talked about is maybe maybe there isn't a perfect phylactery out there yet. And maybe mm-hmm. that's the thing that the dwarves are kind of working towards is yeah. building a better vessel to, to store your soul when mm-hmm. your body is in peril. So one thing I, if you want to throw into your universe, a kind of a conspiracy theory, yes. which who doesn't want Why that? Not? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so running with this idea that, you know, uh, these like kind of resurrection uh, magic or potions or whatever have recently become available and the society is dealing, is figuring out how to feel about this. Um, I think it'd be really cool if it was kind of revealed that the way that these potions are made is from like elven blood. So it's kind of like a thing where maybe I see this kind of, uh, escalating to becoming i no judgment i just started watching true blood um and one of the things that they like start off the show with is saying that a company in japan has made artificial blood no it's true blood shut up (laughs) (laughs) shut your mouth um a company in japan has created artificial blood so all the vampires come out of hiding because they no longer have to feed on people they can just drink what's branded as true blood quote unquote and so i'm seeing this kind of like health potion This like kind of uh, reincarnation potion or magic or whatever, like being approved by the FDA, it's now being sold in all marketplaces. <laughs> and the big secret is that it's like made with elven blood. And that's the the FDA, the Fantasy Drug Administration. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so that would be something that, you know, someone finds out. It's like Soylent Green is people, kind of a totally. epiphany. Totally. Where it's like, oh, this potion can make you live longer or bring you back even. But like... How, 20 some elves were killed yeah. to make this one vial i like the idea that yeah that is the next sort of paradigm of this right like it it's sort of like how you know when when one piece of technology becomes really ubiquitous right mm-hmm. every, every couple of years you see somebody takes it to the next step like when the iphone came out at first it was like you know they were they were twenty thousand dollars nobody could get an iphone or an ipod or whatever right mm-hmm. and then Five or ten years later, there's like a thousand knockoffs, right? right that are yeah. all trying to do the same thing, but for cheaper or for smaller or for a little, you know, a little bit better, right? That's kind of what this this elven blood is. But the elven blood would be like the true blood. The, the true, yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, oh! uh, 
<laughs> See, it all comes back. It all comes back around, right? Um, it's uh, it, it would be like, you know, you say you have like your iPod killer or whatever, like the next technology that will take its place. Like this would be something that actually is superior to the health, the, the organic and kind of friendly health potions that we have right now. And it would come out and people would say, okay, like it does all these amazing things, but like, but how, like nobody really understands why it's like, what is it made of? Like yeah. it's, it's kind of secretive and, and shady. And like some people maybe don't question it. They just go, it just, it works better. Like, what do you mean? Like, why do right. we need to question it? And other people would sort of say, no, there's something shady going on here. Like, why would we see a jump this far forward so quickly, just out of nowhere, right? Yeah. Like they must be doing something that, that is wrong mm -hmm. here. I like this a lot. Yeah, I yeah. like it too. It's like this big mysterious corporation that yeah. no one knows anything about. Exactly. Yeah. It well, it, it you know, it makes me think of like the Matrix, how they have these big like human batteries, right? Where mm -hmm. they just harvest all the like, you know, heat energy that your body produces or whatever. They'd have big like elf batteries, right? Where Spooky. they just Yeah, they kind of like drain your your blood to, you know, they maybe they would you know, depending on how dark we want to go with this, right? <laughs> um, you know, say you're uh say you're an elf that commits some like heinous crime and they, you know, there's, there's no punishment that's really fit for it. Instead of sentencing you to death or sending you off to, you know, they can't give an elf a life sentence mm -hmm. because they'd be in jail for thousands of years, right? They're like, like we're going to send you to the battery farm. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Spooky. I love it. They send you <laughs> to a place where you get the, yeah. And so in the same way as we see, you know, people who, who kind of commit, um, you know, terrible magical acts start to see this blood spire. Maybe people who take these health potions start to see the memories of the people that oh, the blood dude, was from. Oh, dude, I like yeah. that. So all the people who are taking these health potions are, are starting to have these kind of like dark in, invasive thoughts where they're just like, oh, maybe I should kill that guy. Wait, sorry. What? what? No, I've never thought, like, you know, you yeah, know what I mean? I like, like these, this a lot. These thoughts are creeping in because it's, yeah, it's blood from like murderers and thieves and, and yeah. Dude, very cool. I don't know if you there were you looking for something this spooky, <laughs> but you got it. <laughs> I hope you like yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, this could lead into a really interesting sort of industrial industrial espionage type story. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am very curious to kind of almost explore like what happens if this news comes out, right? Because already I've been picturing the members of the certain elven communities as being very kind of private and almost threatened by the progress being made around them. Yeah. So I can see uh, like maybe overnight these immense walls are built up around their city and they're like, totally. we refuse to interact with anyone else. It's too dangerous now. We're closing ourselves in. Totally. And I mean, for a society that is more about kind of preserving the old ways and, and you know, keeping with tradition and being more static and like that makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. That they would slowly kind of drift more towards like isolationism and and um you know i don't want to say like we end up with a society of like racist elves or anything like that like that's not a thing that f that belongs right. necessarily at, at any given table like I don't, I don't think that's a necessarily a good starting point to build a society <laughs> off of right no like a fun friendly role play situation right. right but i i think if we see like you know maybe there are elves that have hints of that and mm -hmm. they sort of say like you know, the, the problem with society today is, and like, those are kind of the outliers and those can be the seeds for, you know, exposing those people and saying, mm -hmm. Hey, look, look at this, this person who is sowing, um, you know, the, the seeds of these terrible things, like among our people, like we can't let these ideas take hold. Yeah. Right. Um, I think if you want to explore those ideas, 
being just on the verge of those becoming part of the kind of common um like 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 social discourse yeah. right mm-hmm. um i think that's maybe a better way than saying well elves are just racist and that's the way they are you that's know? not like, what, that's yeah, not what i was yeah, leaning towards totally. i didn't mean that 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 again what i've been trying oh, yeah. to emphasize a lot of times throughout this episode is saying a group of people don't all think the same yeah there are going to be some yeah. people who think this way and definitely some people who are like on board they're like i wouldn't mind drinking my neighbor's blood give me some of that exactly. like he's an elf i'm an elf i don't care like maybe i should drink my own blood although they don't need to i guess they yeah. have immortal immortality already totally but um immortal immortality immortal immortality um no but i was thinking more like it would be almost like because I, I like keep using this word zealot, uh, like a group yeah. of people who think yeah. very extreme thoughts. And it'd be a small, like little community of elves that decide to like put up this wall and isolate themselves. And one thing that I think would be interesting is like maybe that happened like uh, decades ago, right? When things started to change this drastically and they're like, we're not part of this. And they sealed themselves off this kind of small remote community. And then in something, because a lot of what we're talking about right now is like the importance of like progress and the future and stuff. But there has to be some element in some overarching story here where you say, well, the answer that we seek lies in the past. Yeah. And the people who have the answers to that, well, guess what? They're the people who walled themselves off and they refuse to see anyone. (laughs) And so now you have to get into their like sanctuary and plead their assistance to like get some answers that they okay. like are the keepers of. So I love this idea because it, so it makes me think of two things, right? One, it makes me think of um, you say this idea lies in the past, right? So that going into this elven city, it's like a time capsule, right. right? When you walk through the gate or when you when you are able to like sneak in, it's literally like going back in time a thousand years. Right, because right? they haven't changed. Totally. And I think it'd be cool to see like different elven cities around the world would maybe have close themselves off at different times throughout elven history right so there would be sort of different stages that you could kind of visit like like in the way in like westworld there's like you know the wild west version and there's the east world and there's Mm -hmm. the you know there's all these different kind of you know places you can go to and times you can visit yeah definitely Um, i think that'd be neat that would be a really cool way to give different flavor to different cities in your world is to say yeah one is like kind of semi-modern they only close themselves off like 100 200 years ago Mm -hmm. one is like you know ancient society like the old ways like you know atlantean like hyperborea type things like they close themselves off prehistory you mm-hmm. know like that's the place that no one has ever been there and returned right right and then there's all these different things in the middle where you know maybe there's elves that wear cowboy hats and mosey <laughs> around and you know with their spurs on and you know like i think um, that'd be a fun thing to explore um I, the the other thing real quick sorry that it that it makes <laughs> me think of is um in avatar the last airbender when they go to bossing say and it's this town that, again, like, is they kind of close it off. Like, there is no war in Bossing Se. Right. They do everything they can to kind of control the way that people, the, the information that people have and try to keep things perfect and idyllic because mm-hmm. the outside world is scary and it's full of, there's a war out there. It's full of change and, like, nobody in Bossing Se needs to worry about that. Right. We need to just keep things the way they are because they work really great. Yeah. Or do they? Yeah. Um, I was so you mentioned Atlantis, which I was thinking too of one of these cities, uh, like one of the more ancient ones that closed themselves off a long time ago. Let's say you have uh, like an elf or a couple of elves in your party, right? And they're like, "Well, no worries, I will be the emissary to these places. We can get in because of me." So let's say you go to that ancient city, right? And you go in there, and they start speaking to them in Elvish, but you can't understand them because their language is so ancient. It's so different from modern Elvish now that the the person 
who is an elf is like, oh, I can hardly understand these people. It's like their like, dialect is uh, so different from my own. Somebody who's only ever exposure to English was like the Canterbury Tales or something, <laughs> seeing the word bootylicious and being like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. what? <laughs> well, I was thinking of, uh, we just watched uh, Disney's Atlantis yes, and there's that yes. moment when they first meet them and they're speaking all kinds of languages from all across the world. Yeah. And they asked like, how do they know all these languages? Because their language was the first, like the root yeah. language that all language spread from. That's uh, so cool. Yeah. I think that gives kind of another interesting mechanical component to the game in that um, you know, th- there would be elves that don't agree with this. Like we've, we've continually revisited this idea of like different sort of um, uh, little kind of groups within each of these cultures. Right. But the elves that said, no, we have to help contribute to the the future, this, the changing world. We can't preserve the past forever. Mm-hmm. We're going to go out into the world and use our elven abilities, our long lives, our magical affinity to help give these other you know, these other races that don't have the same tools that we have maybe to help give them those tools to help lift, lift up everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to that end, uh, if you're going on an adventure, hiring an elven mercenary or an elven traveler would be like the most important thing possible, like more important than, you know, taking like a bedroll and a torch into a cave, (laughs) right? Like you need to have an elf on your side because they're sort of your shelf. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you need to take that elf off the shelf. Yeah. And put him into your caravan. Your little pack. Yeah, yeah, your little pack. Yeah. <laughs> um, because, you know, they're sort of your your key into all of these places, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be a really, really cool thing is that if, if you don't have an elf, you ain't getting in this mm-hmm. Ralph, I don't know, that's the dwarf's <laughs> name, the dwarf that's trying to get into uh, into bossing, say, elven bossing, say. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Sam, I also just had another idea, and I think you'll really like this. Um so the idea that um, elves, let's say they, who knows how long their lives are, right? Yeah. I can see there being a a group of elves that kind of in that like, oh, we're so wealthy. We have like, oh, so much privilege. What do we do to entertain ourselves? We make bets. Like that's what we do. <laughs> like these kind of things. They've all got little twizzly mustaches. Exactly. But so, they, elves don't grow facial hair, so they're fake mustaches. Yeah. So yeah. they have to pop on yeah. their fake little mustaches yeah. so they can twizzle them. Harvested from dwarven beard hair. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I like this idea sam that there's this kind of ongoing bet in this one sort of like secret society of elves and it's this idea of saying you know well let's take because it seems like if this or this idea of order versus change is so like important in this world of them being like you know what we're gonna make a bet so when end times come (laughs) we'll we'll look back throughout the years and see did things change or did things repeat themselves and always stay the same. Uh, And so I think there's like a kind of um, record keeper, this guy, and he's the one like people have made their bets with him and he's kind of journaling everything. And he's like, I've been keeping track of this for a long time. You don't know how much money is on, is riding on this. (laughs) When the last day of time comes, we will go over the results and we'll decide what was better progress or things staying as they are. Because they're sort of saying like, okay, even if things change now, eventually they re, set it's just sort of like a cycle well it's that kind of never exactly that sort of theory of like well history repeats itself so you could argue no like things are way different now than they used to be and they'll be like things are exactly the same yeah like it may seem like it's different like we have new technology but people treat each other the same nothing is different you only live 100 years you don't know exactly you you know yesterday you were like four years old you know like yesterday i was 800 years old yeah you know um, yeah, I think that's interesting. I, that kind of makes me an, another thing looking at sort of, a a dwarven 
uh, kind of offshoot group that I think would be interesting is um, if immortality is so important, right? There would be all, and everybody's trying to find different ways to seek it. There'd be all these grifters, right? That are selling. I love a good grift. I love a con man. I love a real piece of shit who sells you something useless and tells you it's going to save your life. I I think that's, people like that are awful, but fascinating. Mm -hmm. Some of the most interesting people that have ever lived are, are terrible grifters, right? Um, I, I think it would be really interesting to see that this would, certainly be something you would see a lot of in, in dwarven society. And maybe dwarves are a little more tuned into it because they're always kind of seeking different ways to achieve immortality. But when other races would come into dwarven cities, you know, when orcs or, or, you know, halflings or gnomes who are kind of like exiled or, or separated from this culture a little bit more, maybe they wouldn't be as used to people trying to sort of you know, do shady dealings with them. Um, and so I think there would be maybe this group of dwarves. Maybe it wouldn't be a big group. Maybe it would just be like one, you know, s- sort of group of friends. A little gang. Yeah, exactly. A little gang that they would make themselves up to look as though they've been alive for thousands of years. They, you know, they'd have little canes and they'd hunch over and they'd say, I have I remember when this city was founded 4,000 <laughs> years ago. And they'd pretend as though that they found the secret to immortality when really it's just a guy hunched over with, you know, with a some some soot in his beard to make it look gray. And, you know, he, he sat out in the sun for too long, so he got wrinkled like a sun-dried tomato. Like, I <laughs> I think that would be a really interesting thing that you would certainly run into, like how people would find sort of false ways to sell this idea of immortality. Well, they're selling the false blood, not exactly. the true blood. Exactly, <laughs> the false blood. Yes, indeed. Lots of snake oil salesmen. Yeah. And you're I, like, what I, the hell am I drinking? And you're like, you don't want to know. <laughs> this, isn't, this is like, well, I don't know. It's like raccoon blood or something. It's not even real elf's blood. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think that would be a thing that would, you know, if you're looking for low level mm-hmm. interactions with your players, somebody who just kind of cheats you out of a few coppers because they sell you, you know, I don't know, uh, worm blood or whatever. Totally. Yeah. Um, going off that idea, just since, um, he said that there are no human beings in this world. Imagine walking into essentially the New York of a dwarven city. Uh, and right away, you know, people are pickpocketing you. You're getting grifted by these people pretending to be old men. And then also you hear a carnival barker and he's like, come see these wonders inside my tent, only two coppers. And you go inside and like, they have a human being, quote unquote, like preserved in jelly. And it's just like... I thought they were just a myth. Right, exactly. And they're like, I saw a real, a real human once. And they're like, yeah. nah, it was just like two monkeys sewed together. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, probably you're right. Were they supposed to have tails? I don't remember or not. Yeah, no, I, that that's an interesting idea. Like it's just idea. a chimpanzee and they're like, totally. it's a human being. The idea of humans being a not fantasy. existing yeah but yeah. exactly being a fantasy race like they would have invented like ah a creature so versatile it could choose to take a plus two in any attribute it desires at character <laughs> creation like oh imagine oh, wow <laughs> yeah i think that would be a really interesting little kind of meta thing yeah. right that like it wouldn't even have to have an impact on the story for that to be a fun little detail for the world totally um you know all of all of the things in our world that we see as really, really common, like there will be a network of information that's accessible <laughs> from terminals around the world. And you gaze into a screen and communicate with far off friends and, and enemies alike. Like, you know, like, I don't know. How do you translate <laughs> these kind of modern myths into a, 
a fantasy yeah. setting, right? Well, also, since we're talking, because that kind of gets into the technology aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. Which they are actually pursuing. Um, maybe yeah. some poor uh, scientist just made the bad mistake of setting up his stand right next to where all of the, uh, like carnival barkers and tricksters are set up (laughs) and he's there and he's looking for investors to fund his rocket ship which will take you to the moon and they're like look at this crackpot thinking he can travel through the sky yeah and right. he's like no it's real i have the science to prove it right there's like a dairy farmer down the road he's like what do they want to go to the moon for we got all the cheese we want right here yeah like, you know? <laughs> he's like moon cheese ain't nothing <laughs> buy my cheese i i love this i i am liking that we've you know we started really broad with this and we've sort of narrowed our focus as we have gone like getting more and more granular and i i think i think that's that's kind of my approach to world building typically is to sort of say, okay, what are the big ideas that are mm-hmm. going on here? And then how do people react to those ideas? And starting to find our way more towards the individual experiences, which really are are the best things to explore in a lot of ways, because it's a lot harder to say, here's a 10,000 year old story that you need to understand with 30 seconds of exposition. Right. But like if somebody comes in and says like, Oh, my family died in a fire and now I'm looking for money to rebuild my ancestral home. Right. Like that's a story that's very important to that person. It's Mm -hmm. more important than this thousand year old legacy, Yeah, but it can be understood in a very short period of time. It's very relatable. Like I think getting towards these individual experiences can be a much better way of exploring the kind of cultural ideas that are really relevant to a, a group of of dwarves or elves or Definitely. whatever. So, I yeah. think one of the last little uh, ideas that I want to kind of throw out here is, because before, and again, I don't know anything about your geography and whether or not uh, <laughs> people tend to like live uh, in different countries yeah. that are more kind of dwarf or more elfish or we, they're we all kind of... We can kinda... revisit that maybe in another episode. I thought it would be a little outside of the scope to include that in this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but before when I was just kind of brainstorming with my own thoughts, I mentioned this idea of like, if there are different kingdoms kind of along the border maybe that's where a lot of the elves are going missing because they're being yeah. taken. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like uh, way down at a different part of the border where it's not so dangerous, there should be a like a, a university, like a science academy. And it's a place where like dwarves and elves work together. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. And it would be if elves are typically more of the conservative, um, uh, of course, that's not fair to say necessarily, but the, of the order kind of traditional mindset, yeah. this would be an interesting thing for elves to go and do this, to be more to like work with the dwarves on the science and the advancements yeah you know it makes me think of in children of men they have the human project right mm-hmm. where they talk about okay society has gone to shit like you know we can't make babies anymore like everyone's going to die out the, the youngest living person in the world was like 18 years six months and 13 days old and they just died today like there's nothing we can do right mm-hmm. but there's this group everyone has given up essentially except for this group of scientists that you know, they work out on this boat out in international waters where they're not <laughs> beholden to the laws of any government. So they can, you know, they can just be altruistic and try to solve this problem without the, you know, any of the remaining kind of corrupt governments influencing the work that they're doing, right? Like that'd be that'd be a cool sort of faction to be out there. Yeah. This, this meeting of minds of all of the the greatest thinkers from 
every society, be it dwarven or elven or, or halfling or gnome or, or orc, orcish yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that would be really neat. Because they could have uh, elvish historians as part of this uh, yeah. university and dwarven scientists. And they could also, there could be dwarven historians and elven scientists. Exactly. And I like, because of course I have to bring a little bit of romance into everything. I like the idea that this <laughs> university was founded by a dwarf and an elven couple. Mm, and okay. yeah, so they're like, okay. we shouldn't be so divided. We should all work together. But more important Love. than anything else, Piper, is that they're all skateboarding and razor scootering around because <laughs> the dwarves are thrill seekers above all. And what's more of a thrill right, you, than a good old X game? Just bringing it back uh, to the X game. Stop. I gotta bring it back to the X game. Yeah. Nice. I'm gonna br- yeah. I'm gonna give it a little bow and say that the thing that truly lasts forever is love. Oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to, Piper, I, I am going to just uh, pat myself on the back here really quick because I got through an entire episode pretty much solely about dwarves and elves and the relationship between them without talking about Lord of the Rings once. Proud of uh, you. Good job. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I really wanted to go off about Mim, the last petty dwarf, uh, but I did not. So <gasps> I'm so um, proud of can, you. Yeah, that, that, in fairness, is a little bit of my inspiration for the offshoot of halflings and gnomes but that's neither here nor there we'll have a whole other we'll do an episode sometime where i just run my mouth about tolkien probably for a while i did that on monsters and multi-class with uh, i was gonna say no I, I did that with um i with, will step away and let you yeah. talk by yourself <laughs> <laughs> i did that on dog her presents with our friend rory once actually and that was really fun so maybe, yeah i'll bring that joy here and piper can take a nap for an hour yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah i i think we've got I think we've got a lot of really great stuff here. Um, I, uh, I, I hope, hope yeah. I hope you like it. You I agree hope you like what we did. And if we uh, yeah. if we muddied some waters, apologies. But if we yeah. gave you a couple of ideas that you want to roll with, awesome. Please yeah. let us know. Exactly. That's what you signed up for, even if you didn't know it. Yeah. It was uh, just a good old muddying of the waters. So I think your world is really cool. Thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. Thank you for letting us uh, play around with it a little bit and build on it. Um, and yeah, seriously, let us know if you if you put any of this into your actual canon absolutely creation and listeners if you have any ideas for mike's world if you you know thought of something better than than what we did today which surely you have i'm sure most of you do that every week um that's the whole point of the show is to inspire you so we get credit for all of your good ideas <laughs> which we haven't really touched on yet but we are we can we have a p.o box open you can start sending your royalty checks to us uh when you start publishing all this stuff but um yeah if you have any ideas that you would like to share with us or with mike feel free to reach out to us on twitter at worldforge pod or at gmail at worldforgepod at gmail.com. We would love to hear your feedback on all of this. If you want us to pass anything on to Mike, uh, or if you want to maybe just send him a message yourself at Kerfligle, K-E-R-F-L-I-G-G-L-E on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure he would appreciate (laughs) any input from you guys as well, because some of our best ideas come from you guys. Um, You know, I I think we had a lot of great stuff today, and it all sprang out of the awesome foundation that Mike laid for us. So um, it just cannot overstate how much we appreciate hearing from you guys and and getting your insight and your your feedback in in really any format. So Mm -hmm. please keep that up. Yeah. And remember, if you want to hear your voice along with ours on the airwaves, record <laughs> a prompt or a question and send it to us. Absolutely. Um, yeah, we we really, really would love to hear more suggestions from you guys just in general, but especially for next week. We've got we've got a good handful of them so far. I, I don't think we're going to have any trouble filling out a big ass episode for you guys. But like, seriously, like 
if this is a four hour episode, so be it. It's episode 100. I mean, I think we're, we're game for that. Then we can we just wanna... break it into two episodes. Exactly. So, uh, send all of your suggestions for prompts. If you have a short little recording or a, uh, you know, just a message or something like that you want to send to us again at WorldForgePod on Twitter or WorldForgePod at gmail.com. We will make sure to include as many as we can uh, in the episode. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're very, very excited about that one next week. Yeah. Um, for now, uh, quick rec room. Uh, I don't I don't really have anything prepared today. You know, my recommendation, <laughs> my recommendation is go help us give Mike some ideas. If you have some cool ideas about dwarves, go tell Mike at Kerfliggle. Uh, on Twitter, what mm-hmm. some of your favorite examples of kind of weird dwarven uh, artifacts and cultural ideas and inventions and things like that are. Um, and uh, go and you know what? I've been playing a lot of Stellaris lately. Go play Stellaris. Um, uh, if you want to have some cool ideas for a sci-fi setting or just some cool kind of chill music to like write, to create, to do art to, uh, a lot of good resources there um <laughs> that's it yeah short yeah. short rec room this week yeah not much to say about about any of that stuff uh um, i think that's as good a point as any to leave it off at piper exactly enough is as good as a feast absolutely so as mary if, poppins would say <laughs> if our listeners want to find other ways to support us piper what can they do uh well you can write us a review uh a five-star review is preferred uh, yes. and you can do it <laughs> <laughs> on your podcast uh, listening device of choice, absolutely uh, iTunes, whatever, Spotify, yeah. all that good stuff puts out put, puts us in front of more listeners. Uh, or you can just share it with a friend or a family yeah. member. Absolutely, just like one of our dear listeners, who again I wish I could remember, did for Mike. Uh, <laughs> consider recommending us to anybody who you think needs a little bit of a creative shot in the arm. We're happy to do these listener recommended episodes are so much fun. I like when we get a really strong foundation. We get to just run wild. Uh, and then wash our hands of the consequences, uh, because it's not, it's really not our problem if we ruin everything. So (laughs) thank you for giving us this opportunity, Mike. And thank you all of you listeners for tuning in for another episode. We will be back with episode 100 next week. I'll get a real air horn, um, sound effect for next week and i'll probably play it constantly and you're all going to turn off the episode 10 minutes in from being sick of it, but, uh yes thank you again so much we love you all listeners and we will talk to you again next week see you later and goodbye <laughs> goodbye, goodbye.